Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Honest Conversations with Alex Cubis. I am sitting with Mark Fermi. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't sure when this was going to be revealed in the podcast interview, but we should probably be said right at the beginning that Mark and I um, are living together in an apartment in Los Angeles. Um, he's just come back from Australia. Um, developing projects and stuff and it's before I go back to Australia for a job so it's exciting times ahead and we're crossing paths in the magical world of Los Angeles um okay my guests know this my my, sorry my listeners know this but my my current guest probably does not um I start the interview with the same set of questions Mark and you answer as honestly as you can in this moment I think I feel I need I want I think I need to change my diet. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. <laughs> I feel that the uh, the universe is a mysterious place. Okay. Wow. Deep. Uh, Fuel can be in your body as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel good. You feel feel good. good to be in Los Angeles. Nice. Nice. The weather's here. Here is really good and. Um, I guess I want to achieve something while I'm here. Okay, yeah. good. And I need right in this moment. I mean, you've got a cup of coffee in front of you, so I need nothing. I need nothing. I, I, I it's want a good state nothing. to be in. Yeah. How often are you in that state? Um, not very often, but lately I've been training myself to be content. Okay. You know, and it's hard because I'm I'm here away from my family. And yeah. You know, on the other side of the world from my my two children. And yeah, my I can imagine that's very difficult. But I've also, you know, reached this point in my life where I've I've sort of found peace with with the journey. Okay. Know? How and when do you th- when do you think you hit that moment? Uh, probably about a year ago. Okay. I just made a, a conscious decision to just take a step back and one stop expecting. Uh, Stop expecting things to happen that that would lead to disappointment, but remaining open to the best possible outcome. Was that, that makes sense? Yeah, it does. Was that precipitated by a particular event? I guess um, partly career. I mean, when you when you like, did you have like a fight with someone, and then you were like, "Right, I'm changing my worldview." Yeah, I think it, I think it came from being feeling a little bit like my, my career had re- reached a, a fork in the road or a stalemate, I guess. Okay. Um, because I'd made my first film. Terminus. And yeah, yeah, Terminus. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't the... 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it doesn't even have a, have a rating on Rotten Tomatoes. No, that's what it said. I looked it up last night. Nah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's, you that's, you yeah. spelled it wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but, I think that, you know, I, I, when you make your first film, you have all these expectations because you hear so many success stories mm. of young directors going to Sundance or going to all these film festivals. And mm. we sort of had a very different path and it was sort of, Terminus was the little the little engine that could in so many ways, you know, it cut through budget, you know, issues and, and, and distribution problems and it still found an audience. But, you know, it, for many reasons, it, it fell between genres and it fell 
at a very weird in a very weird place that people couldn't really uh, define clearly. You know, it's like you look at a film like The Witch, and mm. you you know very much what that filmmaker is trying to say and, okay. and how he's positioned that. But Terminus, I, th- I think, was a little bit lost. Um, did you know that in the making of it? No, not so at all. So, what was your? I, did you have a conscious? idea of what you wanted to say and that the film was a vehicle for your social commentary or whatever thesis you had was you very were you very particular about that and then just through the post-production phase it changed i think that the message remained intact but the intention behind the film because it was so rushed because how we, long was the shoot the shoot was um was six weeks okay but it was the development process. So basically, we got given a green light to make a film before we had a script. Okay. Um, and that was due to the generosity and belief that the guys at Storm Vision had in us. And by us, I mean me and my co-writer, Chai and Zeng, um, to come up with a story and shoot the film in enough time so that, you know, there's a window of opportunity financially for a film to be made and I was having my first child as well so heavy times so it needed to be yeah there was a very small window to, to yeah. make the film so it sort of got rushed a little bit um, so it wasn't it wasn't that the story didn't deliver on the message maybe the execution was a bit little bit compromised I think because you know had we had more time to plan but it is what it is, and it's you know you, you have to take ownership of of the work you produce. Did you feel obligated in giving that answer in going into a discussion of your of your film? Did you feel because we're in an interview situation right now that you had to because it's like an industry setting that you had to talk about work and you couldn't probably point, yeah, yeah it's just like it's like an autopilot it's, it's, it's an autopilot thing of being in LA where we gravitate towards I discussing so. film. Well, I how think frust- we, how frustrating here. is that for you? Not frustrating. This is a part of the I mean, process now. Talking about films is my favorite thing. Probably talking about other people's films is is, oh, is okay. more enjoyable to me yeah. than talking about my own my own stuff. At least at this stage in my career, because I feel like there's there's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot of untapped potential. There's um and it's it's your own fault, you know. It's your, I think what you achieve in life is is really up to you at the end of the day. Um, so we only sort of have ourselves to blame if if the the experience is is not as as completely fulfilling as we want it to be and i think it goes back to my my lesson of of being content and being grateful yeah. um and i think that you know i just had to learn to to have gratitude for that experience for sure going in back, order to move forward of course you know. well what you said before about being content and you came to that realization like a year ago had you thought before that contentment meant complacency? Was that why you had a aversion to it maybe before? Yeah, or was perhaps. It just- I mean, I look at a lot of peers or, or filmmakers that are very self-congratulatory in yeah. their work. And, yeah. You know, usually when, you, when you're patting yourself on the back so much, you're producing shit. Yeah, <laughs> right, know? okay. Uh, What's but an, it, can but you say an example? You can't think of anything right now. Uh, I won't, okay. I won't. But I mean... You know, most of the the guys that I know that produce brilliant work are smashing their foreheads against the wall. See, this is the thing I was talking about earlier, though. Not with an industry person. It was a actually a 
a pastor, but it was about um, self-criticism as a means of advancing oh, yeah. self-awareness and that because self-awareness is so crucial to having a healthy, quote, healthy creative life. Yeah. So for you, how do you balance that inner critic with producing something that I guess flourishes or is fulfilling otherwise it's just like suffering for your art it's like what's the ways of fun in that right yeah i guess at a certain point you have to switch the critic off and just go with it and then your instincts take over and then you hope that your instincts are refined enough because of your education or your experience okay that they can make result in good decisions yeah you know whether it's casting an actor or you know working out how to stage a scene you always have your instincts to fall back on yeah and sometimes those instincts can be shit because because they're not they're not qualified yet, you know. Qualified by institutions or by commercial success. Qualified by going deep enough into the material. Okay. You know, uh, sometimes you you just go with the first idea that that hits you. Yeah. But now I've learned to just reject the first idea. Really? <laughs> yeah. So when do you know? Because I've recently, in the past year, at least, sort of wanted to trust my gut and that can really serve us. So are you saying avoiding your gut instinct? I think your gut will take you to a good first place. Uh-huh. But With inevitably inevitably your gut is going to be the same as a lot of other people's guts. Yeah. And that's I think where cliche lives. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, so did you have an example recently where you were doing like even something small where yeah, you were like I, you I mean, to... I'm I'm writing a script at the moment and you know, I I wrote what I thought was a good scene but then just to to prove to myself that it was the right decision, I just got a sheet of paper and I wrote twenty other ways that the scene could could work. Yeah, you know, because uh, especially when you're doing a first draft, you sort of do what a lot of people call the vomit draft or yeah, 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 just draft. throw it all out there just to get it out there. Yeah, but often sometimes you end up keeping you end up religiously sticking to that. Because you think it's gold, because yeah, it came out so easily. It, yeah, and it's pure, but it's not. Okay. <laughs> you know? So, in that, when you did that with that scene, did you? Confirm? Yeah, I came up with like ten other better ideas, and you went with one of those, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But there's always something in that initial. Yeah. Well, the scene itself, the idea yeah. of whatever happens in the scene. So yeah. there's always some something emotionally pure in it. Okay. Uh, and it was just two surgeons having a chat over right. while they're operating on this this kid. You know. Interesting. Uh, but then, you know, I sort of, because it's based on a true story and you're working out, you're using your imagination to, to fill the blanks, you know, with what actually may have happened with these characters in real life. Yeah. You know, you can, you can, you can pick the obvious things. I mean, we're all bigger than the sum of our parts. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, one of, both of these surgeons had studied overseas, the story set in Harlem, but you know, and I was trying to create a through line, one having studied in London and one having studied in France, and they were talking about the differences in 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 women <laughs> in London and, and, yeah. and France. Yeah. Um you know, and then I had to do a bit of research about that and, and really get into the heart of cultural differences yeah, and perceptions about women. Exactly. Yeah. But then I thought, well, what's another way that we can do this? So I sort of jotted down some other Differences that surgeons would be interested in, yeah, and, and some interesting ideas. Oh, okay. And I'm still working it through, but, yeah. Because um, the thing about that scene was the relationship between them, not a discussion. Well, it just about felt women. too broad. It felt like, why would they be talking about women? Yeah, you know, 
um, and that's where while that's it, what a lot of television that's when generic writing happens exactly. and that's where like it's like oh that scene from that TV show could have am I watching wait I thought I was watching this yeah. show it's like oh it's actually some other NBC or ABC thing or whatever and then chances are they're probably talking about nothing yeah you know they've, it's, indistingu- they've it's indistinguishable side by side for so long that yeah. they don't need to say anything yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that's more yeah, 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 definitely. And that's when you can show the relationship rather than tell it. Yeah. Um, two things. So you said before, emotionally pure and we're bigger than the sum of our parts. When you say, go to the second thing first. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say we're bigger than the sum of our parts, what do you mean by that in reference to characters well, or you're, people? You're, you're never more than one action or one okay. decision or one sin. Yeah, cool. You know, uh, we're all contradictions. Yeah. So, and that's what the goal is often for actors as well, the contradictions in characters. Yeah. How do you write those? Or how do you, where are they? It's hard because my brain works. Good people making bad decisions. Is that one example? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But that can lead to cliches as well. <laughs> I think my brain example? is, oh, is counterproductive because I like to categorize things. I like, you know, if I meet somebody from South Africa, mm. I, I, I immediately make assumptions about them. But, and then they'll tell me something that sort of surprises me, like, you know, they studied in um, Japan, Japan, or, yeah, you know, or went to international school somewhere. Yeah. And then that, you, you, because I'm a very visual person, I try to paint a portrait of that person in my mind. And, oh, okay. And when you distill things into images, that's when they become stereotypical. So, it's, do you think so? Yeah. Okay. Why is that? I think so because isn't the world's problems based on stereotypes. Yeah, image, especially when it's cultural based. stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, interesting. So, I think it's it's like breaking down the walls and, you know, trying to find unusual ways into, into characters. But then I guess it helps audiences to have a sense of familiarity. Yeah, definitely. You know. Well, then, 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 then it means like the contradictions are going to be more surprising, regardless of they may be seeming stereotypical to you if the character mm-hmm. midway through is revealed to have studied in Japan. It's like, that's yeah. unique to them. Like, yeah, you know, um, exactly. One of my other guests actually said, the reason that I said before, good people making bad decisions is like an interesting character contradiction thing, whatever. Mm. Uh, she's developing like a show for Crackle and has been in Sundance and stuff. And that's one of her like uh, creative mantras. Not something that she said herself, but one of her other friends observed and she has it on her desktop. Yeah. Why do you think that's like risk for cliche? Well, because you can just find the best possible person and pick the worst possible thing that they can do. And when you marry those two things together, yeah. it's been done before so many times. And I mean, like, like in, like in, like a, you know, Breaking, Breaking Bad. It's never been done better than Breaking Bad. But yeah. now twelve. Well, that's other crazy. People, we literally, yeah, yeah, exactly. Kid, yeah, twelve yeah. other people will try to do it now, yeah. and they won't. The antiheroes are very common in TV. Yeah, moment. but they yeah. won't hit the same level of truth unless it's grounded in some specificity you know okay specificity of cultural context or yeah like don draper being a womanizer you know was was great because he's not really trying to be a good person yeah uh and ultimately i think where breaking bad went so right was that breaking bad uh was that walter walter white did i just say i mixed the two Mix them, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> walter white ultimately made a decision to be bad and mm-hmm. and stopped trying to make things right at a certain yes. at a certain point. He just tried to make things uh he just tried to achieve his goal. Are but you he free, stopped tr- he stopped trying to do it in the right way, I think. Are you free to say an example that you could think of recently where they it became cliched? That character mm. decision? 
not one that comes off the top of my head. But something for the listeners to ask on Twitter or Facebook, or perhaps make a suggestion themselves. Yeah, I mean, like the the cliches, like the you know the alcoholic. <laughs> okay. You know, um, and it it's alcoholism is right. Yeah. It's just it's, like a it's, th- it's like a thing that a writer throws been in there, and yeah. you sort of understand it. Like it can just be throw it in there as to put too, a spanner in the works of the story. Yeah, it's like exactly. Mum or dad that everyone loves, but is it happens to be an alcoholic as way of yeah. creating drama. Yeah, okay. And, you know, I've been so guilty when a man of that when, when a man loves a woman is that a Meg Ryan movie from the nineties? I think that's with Andy. Andy, um, yeah, yeah. She's I, like a, she's like I a mom. I've never seen it, but um, she, she's a mom and she's an alcoholic. And, but I think they did it well because they went deep enough into, okay. into the um, it was quite honest okay you know, from what I remember or heard of it, yeah when you said before so the other thing was emotional pure purity or whatever that comes up in writing what do you mean by that and is that synonymous and is the same as expressing truth or whatever yeah that means? I think it, it all comes down to being specific like and you'd know that as an actor like the more yeah. specific you get the more universal something becomes. Yeah, I've had the same guest that said the thing about good people. Yeah. She said the specificity is universal. Yeah, like yeah. you could tell a story about an African kid like in Beasts of No Nation, but mm-hmm. because it's so specific uh, and it, it becomes universal, you you put yourself in that kid's shoes because it's really honest. But the second you start entertaining stereotypes, you know, what you think an African kid who's forced to become a child soldier has to endure, then, you know, it, it's not living up to its full potential to be what it needs to be. And that's why the greatest filmmakers are the ones that really know how to do their research. Yeah. You know, like Carrie Fukunaga or Kubrick used to, you know, have boxes and boxes and boxes of material yeah. that so would that, inform, you know, single pages of script. That specificity leads to accuracy or mm. the accuracy leads to specificity which helps with the portrayal of truth mm. that ultimately resonates with more viewers yeah. and that makes it universal yeah otherwise you're falling back on what you've seen in other movies or read yeah. in other books and you know if you're well read you're probably better off than than being film literate but when have you been guilty of those cliches in the past uh, many times <laughs> and it was there a turning point for you where like maybe you did like some short course in directing or writing that you learned something or was there like feedback you got from someone where you where there was a shift or like a particular year that you I remember can, I where it was really, like, wow, I mean, that was a turning point we tried to with terminus be as specific as possible but you know at a certain point the genre takes over i mean we were criticized for the portrayal of the, like the agents being a little bit too two-dimensional okay um uh you know, at at the time making the film, I felt that they were quite interesting characters because they were really justified in what they what they were trying to achieve, which is world domination through. Well, they were trying to achieve peace through domination. Um, it's almost like communism. Yeah, but I think that you know, uh, if I look at something like uh, like Midnight Special, where that takes the science fiction genre. Mm-hmm. But Adam Driver's character is is not your typical man in black, you know, and that's what makes him really interesting. As a casting choice, for sure. Yeah, as a casting choice, but also his behavior. He's not he's not a cowboy. Yeah, right. Um, he's not not physically dominant. Uh, 
which I think is a more interesting choice. And I think you can credit Spielberg for creating those adversaries that aren't always alpha males, but they're cunning, you know, in, in some way. It just makes things more interesting, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's like little little tidbits that you that you pick up along the way where people compliment certain aspects of your work, and then you learn okay. as much from that as the criticisms, you know. So what are you, what are the compliments that you've received? Um, I think a lot of the compliments uh, of that we received around Terminus were how it sort of tapped into the zeitgeist of um you know the 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 ever widening gap between the haves and the have nots okay um you know the the ordinary people versus the people in control government yeah. do dominance and yeah. then you know the the overriding political landscape in the background of the film which is that you know America's about to go to war with Iran <laughs> And and Russia and China are, is, is it pertinent? are opposing them, and yeah, yeah, it's sort of like echoing what's happening today. I mean, yeah. we got the we got the Middle Eastern nation maybe wrong, <laughs> <laughs> should have been Syria, but you know, I think Iran's a hotbed that will mm. eventually, you know, come to a head, you know, um, at some point in the future. Anyway, when you're making decisions about actors. And this is this is a conversation I was having the other day. It's easy in Los Angeles for anyone to just sort of be here and identify as a creative. Um, and there is there's there's levels of of every of every industry, right? And like society's perception of a successful of an just a quote actor is just like a celebrity actor, or even if they're like it's been come up in conversation before where a television actor is like and even in amongst non-creatives is like an unsuccessful actor because they're not like a quote movie star um for you when you're when you're casting a film does it matter for you or do you respect an actor more or less or do you even care or when you're speaking or meeting people who identify as actors what do you think allows them to do so is it like having had like one professional credit a couple of years ago is it that they go to an acting class once a week? At what point? Or is it like an inner belief? But if they don't do anything, they're not working, maybe they audition like once a month um, and they, they, they don't practice their craft or anything and they, they have an inner belief that they are an actor, but from the outside, it, it could almost be construed as delusional. Do you think that they deserve the right to call themselves one? And but for whatever the equivalent is for a director, the same goes. I mean, I don't know when you start calling yourself an actor or a director. I guess it's once you actually start working. Yeah. And there are many definitions of that. I mean, yeah. You're either getting paid for it or you're yeah. not. And there's a lot of people that get paid a lot of money to do a lot of shit. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the great people don't get paid anything to do amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think that you should be able to call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. Okay. You know, but whether you're actually going to earn the respect and recognition of your peers in the industry or, or the people that actually um, have the influence and the power to, to, hire, to hire you for things. Mm. That's another question. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you take yourself, if you put yourself on a pedestal too early, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, all the, all the greatest actors I know, they're, 
they're still constantly working. They're taking classes on the side they're or they're curious. working with a private coach or they're, yeah. they're flexing some muscle or, or they're reading extensively and, you know, involving themselves in things that, that, that develop their humanity so okay. that they've got a wider net to, to yeah. draw from in their imaginations, you know. And that can be spirituality can be one of them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I think... As well as craft practice. You know, I, th- I think what makes a great actor is his commitment, his level of commitment, and it's not how well he can sell himself, you okay. know, because some of the greatest actors can't sell themselves at all yeah. and won't sell themselves. Yeah. Um, even even when they needed to, they didn't know how to. Yeah. But I think great talent does cut through eventually, you know, um, because, and this is one of the things I've learned, is that even if you're shooting a soap commercial in Vietnam, you have to treat it like it's apocalypse now because yeah. that sort of work ethic, it, it runs, it, you know. It pays it, off in the long run. Yeah. People remember it, it, yeah. It just makes you who you are and it, permeates every aspect of your yeah. being it's a matter of self-respect yeah. and that carries through and it carries through in your day and then your week and then a week leads into a year and then eventually you'll yeah. be consistently working on a professional capacity i, I mean guess. you have to pick your battles you're not gonna you're not gonna fight for symmetry on that soap commercial <laughs> so why the soap commercial in vietnam why did that come to mind oh because i've been doing a lot of them oh <laughs> soap specifically well i've done a couple of soap ones but um yeah, in I did vietnam? One for, yeah really for tide washing detergent oh cool there. you know I, I, I did a lot of commercials over the last two years in asia because work had dried up in australia and you know there's, there's too many directors in australia and there's, okay. there's too many talented ones um but in asia there aren't many directors right. for a start and then there's okay. even fewer talented ones and right and then even amongst them there's fewer with the patience and the tolerance to deal with asian clients who are very very, very de- yeah demanding. particular yeah they're particular and they're sort of insecure because they don't have the long hundred year history or 150 year history of advertising that, that western. western countries do right so it's not in 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 the blood to to um you know, to sell a product in the scene, in a sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. It has to be very literal. It has to be very um, paint by numbers. So that, that can be frustrating as an artist, but if you find within each of those, <laughs> those jobs, um, something to help you develop. So f- for instance, there was a, you know, three job period back to back where I was just obsessed with timing mm. in staging. Okay. Um, and just getting the accuracy of, of timing down and doing dozens of takes just to get timings correct. So That's that, like if you're an actor just working on a soap, just because you're working on a soap doesn't mean you can't find opportunity to be yeah. like, I'm exploring this part of myself Oh yeah, this week. Yeah, exactly. Or Finding a commercial. Yeah. Or, you know, as Brian Cranston said that, you know, when he wasn't working for a long time, but he was auditioning, he mm. would, he would perceive the audition as, as the work. Yeah. And it is. And, yeah. And, it, and he, he, come to terms with the fact that it may never go beyond the audition um but he would enjoy the audition and he would he would treat the audition like it was his opportunity to work and that you know that's the same sort of epiphany that i'm that i've experienced over the last year is to treat the work as a real blessing and to pour yourself into it and then the opportunities will come yeah they really will yeah, it's all they will. you know it's all that secret nonsense but uh it works in a sense because if you can visualize what you want to be, um, 
what you want to achieve. Uh, there's power in that, you know, because you're not going to become whatever you don't see yourself as. <laughs> mm -hmm. True. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you are casting actors um, or even hiring other people for your film, I guess it's actually different because you can meet up with them and see their resume if you're hiring like a production designer. But I guess you have like a roster of people that you work with now and the in-between stuff for that, in the, in the crew capacity. So for the actors, um, how like how does the casting process work for yeah. you? And have I, have you had to give this answer before in an interview? Like, no. when do you decide an actor is right for the role? Like, I mean, in the past, it's a very cliched conversation to have. But yeah, that's okay. In the past, I've cast a lot of friends. Okay, you know? um, who you know? <laughs> well, yeah, because I guess when you're dealing with no budgets, you sort of right. It's not that I wouldn't have cast those friends anyway, but yeah. I know I can trust them. Yeah, right. And, I and know it makes they, it more fun as well. Yeah, and they're going to commit themselves. Um, I have yet to work with a, a famous actor or go through that prima donna experience. I've, okay. I've been through that many times with music artists on music videos. Okay. Pop artists, but... But you've never had to exercise never discretion had to do a, you in the audition casting process. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with difficult actors for yeah. sure. Okay. But, you know, the pool in Australia is so small yeah. that there's very few people you can actually, you know, like the the nine or ten um, great actors, they're doing overseas work and they're expensive. Um, so, you know, the next level is, is sort of the really committed, hardworking people that do a lot of TV work. And then beneath them is like the people that do a lot of independent film work or short films and you know there's there's varying degrees but i think for me it's just recognizing commitment and talent um and um loyalty is i think a big thing okay not to me but to the project and to yeah the, and that happens experience. from knowing them you know the loyalty thing yeah but i mean the, less the... i think as you get older as a director you sort of you can sense it in a person well that yeah, but you just become less, um, less obligated to cast your mates. Oh right, okay. <laughs> you know because now it's not just your investment, but it's it's other a people. lot of other people's yeah. investment, and that yeah. you have to be accountable for. Um, and I think you're able to 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 put those friends into smaller roles, and they can benefit from yeah. being alongside even bigger talent. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think, you know, in an ideal world, you cast the perfect person for the role and that person is really the, the person that responds to the material on a on an existential level, as as on a spiritual level, on um, a human level. Have you seen auditions where you're like, oh, wow, they're, they're it, they're the character? Yeah, absolutely. And it was after like a long search and, and you saw their audition and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Ha it just happens like that, and you can't explain it. You just know it. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. It, right. I mean, a, a lot of the the like Terminus was cast primarily through offers. There wasn't a lot of auditioning. Okay. I mean, Jai, the actor I was most familiar with, probably yeah. had to do the most auditioning only because his role as the lead was the role that everyone um, assumed would be filled by a marketable actor. Okay. But my my dream from the beginning was for him to play that role. Oh, cool! So, you were him, him and I had to fight for that, you know. Right. Uh, and eventually, it worked out that you know 
so many of the bigger dudes turned it down. <laughs> that, that he was able to have his sweet opportunity, and yeah. you know, but he he probably gave it four hundred percent. You know, yeah, yeah, because okay. of that. Um, Mark's phone was just ringing, but that's probably appropriate timing. Um, before I finish, did I did you give a lot of answers that you've had to give before in interviews? No, oh, that's this good. Is, this to me has felt more like a conversation than oh, hence the name honest conversations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Appropriate, sweet. Um, yeah. Well, guys, for those listening, please um, ask me any other questions on Twitter or Facebook. And um, are you on social media? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and we can I could forward them on to to Mark as well. Um, I think I feel I need I want again. Yeah, but in this moment, right now, uh, feelings change on a moment to moment basis. So. I think that that was probably a, a, an executive trying to call me. Okay. Important uh, phone call. I feel good because I just had coffee. Sweet. Um, I need food. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, I want to be out in the sunshine. Nice. Those are really good answers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And great that they're different to what you said before as well. You <laughs> yeah. don't need to be as a little, deep. A little more visceral. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> it's what we are. We're human. All right. Uh, thank you so much, thank Mark. You, Alex. I'm really grateful for this. Yeah. Um, definitely woke me up. And then thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you. See you next time.